Hello and welcome to this very special episode of the Reset Podcast, Coffee PPE Right Now edition of the Reset. I am super psyched to have Joe Wilson, who's one of the founders of C19 Coalition, which I'm happy to be an advisor of over the last several months. We're going to talk about the urgent need for PPE for, for communities that need it the most, what we've been able to do over the last seven to eight months, and how you can help right now. So take a listen. Hi, Joe. Hey, Laura. How's it going? Thanks for having oh, me on know. today. Oh, you know, it's 70,000 degrees and, you know, it's raining outside. The usual foolishness, but that's okay. Um, so since so it's a different episode of the podcast, we're going to go right into what is it you do. So, Joe, who the heck are you and what do you do? So I am the managing director of a venture fund called Undeterred Capital. Um, also, since March of this year, uh, I'm one of the founders of the C19 Coalition, a group that was formed uh, originally just as a grassroots organization to help uh, construct a supply chain for personal protective equipment or PPE. Eventually, uh, the C19 Coalition morphed into a nonprofit um, and to date has helped get over a billion units of PPE to frontline workers. So that's incredible. So this 1 billion units of PPE was done in a matter of seven months-ish, right? Yeah. I mean, really, when we started, I mean, one of the first conversations I had was with, um, it was actually the, the, one of the White House groups, and they were trying to estimate the total number of PPE that existed on kind of an annual basis. And the number they came back with was about 8 billion units of PPE. Um, and so obviously the market has totally changed this year, but I think it speaks uh, volumes that our partners, our C19 coalition partners have helped, have helped now get a billion units to the U.S. Um, over the last, I guess it's been about eight months. It's, it's a pretty extraordinary achievement. Yeah, no, and you know, obviously, full disclosure, I'm an advisor, um, and I've been helping uh, to facilitate some PPEs to communities of color that need it the most. Um, it's it's been really awesome to watch it happen, but I think it's it's really important for folks to understand how this works because, especially at this particular moment where we now will have a new administration coming in, um, but the number of cases are almost doubling every week now. We're at uh, over 140,000 yesterday. Um, that the need for PPE is extreme right at this moment. And how we got here, I think would be great for you to explain out to the audience as well. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'll kind of split those into to two different questions. The first is um, kind of how we got here. So I, there's a, uh, an epidemiologist friend of mine, Bill Hanong, who's at Harvard, who I first met in early March. I just, you know, I saw him, I think I saw him tweeting and I cold emailed him and we kind of struck up a friendship ever since. And Bill's line, Bill is a very humble person, but what, what he has repeated kind of time and time again is, I keep hoping that I'm wrong, but I haven't been yet. And I, I think that's a line we should all kind of keep in mind as we lurch into the winter. Uh, because, you know, the leading epidemiologists, like this is, this is what they do for a living. This is what they did long before the crisis. This is what they'll do long after COVID has passed. And we should really pay attention to the way that they're thinking about these problems. In March, what Bill said is we have an impending very large wave that's about to hit the US. Uh, in April, after it had already kind of hit north, the Northeast, in particular New York City, he said, you know, this, the South will likely be next. Hopefully it'll be a little less severe of a wave that'll hit over the summer. That's exactly what happened. And then he said, after the summer wave, he said, 
well, we really need to keep an eye on kind of late fall, early winter, because that's when cases will start to spike again uh, if, we, if we haven't made progress. And unfortunately, he is, he is right for a third time. And so has he bought lateral numbers recently? (laughs) (laughs) Like Jesus, you know, it's, it's, it's a little uncanny. I mean, I I think one of the things that he and I, and a lot of people aren't going to push back on is there are a lot of people who kind of raise false, raise false flags about the case numbers who say, Oh, the rising case numbers are due to hospitalizations. And then um, once those case numbers lead to more hospitalizations, a lot of people say, well, you know, the hospitalizations are due to people kind of miscounting the people who are going into hospitals. And when those hospitalizations can lead to deaths, they say, well, you know, okay, maybe you were right this time, but the caseload is coming down. So we're kind of over this. And then when cases start going up, it's, oh, that we're doing more testing. So we're in this kind of perpetual cycle of COVID deniers where they keep denying kind of the intensity. Unfortunately, we're now at a point um, heading into you know mid-November, where the cases are closing in on double uh, their highest ever rate, and and to be fair, some of that is due to testing. Um, you know, in this, a lot of people think that the the first surge in the spring was actually higher than the summer surge, even though the case numbers didn't line up, and that's because we just couldn't do much testing. But I think what we're seeing now is you know it's hard to fake hospitalizations, and as of yesterday, those were now at record rates. I think a lot of people are now predicting that, that by the time we get to early December, we could be closing in on 2,000 deaths a day. And if we don't get the case numbers under control, it could be significantly higher than that. Yeah, and I think that's a scary part about this. I think, you know, we, we're in this moment of kind of COVID fatigue where we've all been stuck inside. Those of us have been good, like us, <laughs> um, and in our protective bubbles. Like I haven't seen my mom since Christmas um, because I can't get on the plane to go to Florida. Uh, and now it's Thanksgiving and I'm like, well, why can't I go see my family? And I think that's kind of the big wave we're hitting up against because now folks are just like, oh, come on, is this still going on? And unfortunately, I think that's why we're also spiking. Um, so what can we do like right now to sort of help everybody other than obviously clearly wear a mask. (laughs) Well, yeah, I think I would put it into two different buckets. So bucket one is personal responsibility, is wearing a mask, is social distancing. I I know given that we're in almost month nine of this, it can be a little tough. However, I think, you know, if if we keep it under control this winter, the next winter will be significantly better. And with the great news about the vaccine, early results, which we can talk about later, um, with some of the seriousness of what seems to be the new administration's task force, I think we could be in a good position um, as we enter kind of the middle of next year. But there's not really a scenario in which this winter is not a really rough one on the on the COVID front. So first is personal responsibility um, and really following the, the CDC guidelines what elected officials are, are kind of uniformly saying are the best practices around controlling the spread of the virus. The second thing is we, we really need to prepare for a, a very intense three or four months. Um, if you're looking to help, that means getting PPE to frontline workers. We've got, at this point, we have about 70 different companies, organizations, nonprofits that are helping source PPE, produce PPE, uh, distribute PPE. We, we really have uh, what we believe is the largest private sector COVID-19 group out there today. And so if you're looking to, to support an effort 
um, you know, the C19 coalition, I, I really can't think of a better option there. And, and the other thing that I just want to highlight is, you know, the biggest issue in the spring and, and in the summer was coordination, was making sure the right people were in the room, that they had access to the right resources in order to mitigate the spread of the virus. And that, that's why C19 Coalition came about, was to try to organize those actors to get everyone on the same page and then to drive to specific results. And I think by really any measure, we've been able to, we, we've really succeeded on those fronts. Our key focus over the next four months is both getting PPE to the people that need it the most, supporting other uh, parallel efforts around increased text testing, um, eventually probably assisting in some way with the distribution of the vaccine when that's available, as well as advising uh, the new administration on the best practices here. Um, I mean, Laura, you know better than anyone, uh, we've been in the weeds in this for most of this year. And a lot of the lessons we've learned have been difficult ones to learn, but you know, we've learned them and we have the expertise to be able to provide that. So I think that's going to be the role of the C-19 coalition during this winter is, is filling the gaps as they exist and connecting the dots for people that may have not been on the, on the front lines of this. Yeah, you know, the way that I've always described folks uh, what C-19 is, is that you guys are we're the lighthouse. And so it's like, you know, it's not the place where you're going to stay, but it's the place that's going to guide you where you need to go. Um, but it's never going to steer you wrong. And I think that's been the kind of awesome part of being part of the, the C-19 family. You know, it's one of the things where, you know, I'm most proud of because of the fact that like you guys also get it and listen to folks. So like when I said, hey, I, there's a huge issue around this portion impact around HBCUs, you're like, okay, go build something. <laughs> uh, and I think that is also the key here because there is so much noise and folks are like, well, what do we do? And so similarly, like, you know, someone says, hey, I've got 10,000 masks. We're like, okay, we can find through the schools or the, the Chicano Federation that needs it. And we will make sure that happens. And we will follow through and, and be that last line of defense so that that happens. And I think that's a thing when organizations are trying to figure out why, you know, we're great partners is that like, you know, we're making sure this is actually done. We're getting the, we're getting that tracking information. Um, but also, you know, we're also the organization is sort of understanding from an empathetic side of the universe where not everybody is gonna have the same level of information and, um, knowledge knowledge based that we do because obviously we know you know we can use slack we can you know everyone can do things on twitter dms some folks are still faxing and so for organizations that might think that like they can't even get started i think it's really important for them to understand that we really do you know have every, everyone's good intentions in mind when, when we're engaging these programs yeah absolutely and i think the one of the core tenets of our organization overall is we really like to just get out of the way. We like to connect the dots for people. We like to work behind the scenes. We wanna put other organizations in a position to be successful. Um, one of the organizations that we worked with behind the scenes over the summer was Megan Smith's uh, Shift 7 group. Uh, and they were working specifically to get PPE to, uh, uh, to native groups, particularly in the Southwest. And so by connecting them and, and keep in mind, you know, a lot of the big problems in the spring were groups looking for millions or tens of millions of units of PPE. If we're talking about native groups, that's a much, much smaller amount that's needed, maybe a few thousand units. And so that limits the pool of, of suppliers that can actually provide that product. So working behind the scenes, we were able to connect them with groups who were able to provide either free or discounted PPE 
to, to make an impact there as well. And it's, you know, they, they do fantastic work and, and we're happy to play a role there. But we love to, um, we love to take a backseat role when it comes to publicity, but we love to, to be in the driver's seat when it comes to driving outcomes. Yeah, I think, you know, we don't shout the loudest, but we get the, we get the work done. And um, one of the reasons I was like, hey, Joe, come on this. <laughs> I was like, shout the smidgen. Um, because I do think at this particular juncture, you know, we do have to find ways for folks to understand why it's good to partner with us, but also that this situation is not solved. I think for a while we were having these conversations with folks and they're like, oh, everybody's got a mask, right? You're like, no, <laughs> like, actually they don't. Um, you know, especially in disproportionately impacted communities. And again, I think that's another thing that sets us apart is that, you know, we realize that not everybody's gonna need one million masks. You know, we sent 500 masks to Isaiah House in New Jersey and that's a homeless shelter. And like, and we got a lovely thank you note back. Like that's, I think that's the thing that folks who are watching can understand it like it's not a matter of everything has to be gigantic it is the local impact that you can that you can bring that's really important at this particular moment as well yeah absolutely i mean i think there's two things there one is that the, the local impact is is what it comes down to at the end of the day right it, at this point it's it's unlikely it's possible but unlikely that entire state is melting down and is out of PPE. More likely, it is a, you know, it's a neighborhood, it's a city, it's a hospital, it's a school that is low on, on critical supplies. And so as you see these needs in your own community, or as you hear about those needs, you know, it's, it's important to solve those problems one at a time, because that's how you can save people's lives in a, a very tangible way. The, the other thing I want to bring up is, I think the reality is, a lot of the groups that were founded in March to help respond to the COVID-19 crisis, most of them don't exist anymore. And that, that's, you know, the nature of it is just that people started these groups to respond to a very specific pain point. And then as COVID cases waned in the late summer, a lot of them ran out of funding. Uh, a lot of them kind of didn't see the, didn't see how they could fit into the puzzle. And a lot of people, you know, had stepped away from full-time jobs that they had to get back to. So they're, you know, very reasonable, reasons that they had to kind of move on. Uh, we, we were able to stick through it. Uh, it wasn't always easy, but we were able to push through to the other side. Um, and so I, I just want to highlight that to say, there aren't, a lot of, uh, there aren't a lot of us left, but the need is higher than it's ever been before. And so supporting groups like ours has never been more critical. And if we think about you know, blunting the spread of the virus over the winter, groups like the C19 Coalition are going to be totally critical to do that. Yeah, I think that's a, it's a key point here that, you know, folks don't realize that, you know, everyone lost their minds in March and said, oh, yeah, let's all let's spend our profit and do this. Um, and then one, realize this is really difficult. And two, how do you sustain this? And then three, the su it's, a, it's a summer. I think things are going down, different focus. So now that we're on the other side, we have a new incoming administration. But in between now and the 70 odd days, apocalypse <laughs> uh we still we still have this COVID situation that's going that's, uh, going down going down the pike and so we very much need to work with folks who one are still in the game 
who can still be helpful um, and still want to help. And I think that's also part of this because, you know, it's not just about getting, you know, great partners on, but like, you know, we're also a nonprofit. So I think it's important for folks to understand that like, you know, we love your donations, <laughs> um, reach out. Um, but also let's talk about some of the partners who we've been able to work with. So our friends that like get us PPE and um, Project N95 and Stop the Spread. Like talk about how it all kind of works with those guys. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we could spend all day talking about some of these partners. Um, some have been in the trenches with us since March. Some are, you know, relatively new that have come on board. Um, a few that are worth calling out. Get Us PPE, um, founded by, by Megan Rainey and, and a few other folks, have been just tremendous. Um, when I first met Megan, our first call, uh, she said, sorry, I'm running a few minutes late. Um, uh, I've got an ER shift that went a little bit over. So Megan was not only founding a nonprofit, she was literally work, literally save working lives. on the front lines to save <laughs> lives. And I was like, you can be as late as you need to be. Like I, I'll work around your schedule for that. So get us PPE is just like a totally critical partner that has been with us since the beginning here. Uh, Stop the spread is another fantastic one. Uh, early on, they were actually one of our, uh, our most direct connections to a lot of what was going on on the federal side of things. Uh, that group has now merged with uh, Impact Assets, um, and they have just been just a tremendous, tremendous partner there. Um, we've worked with them to, uh, to set up uh, seminars uh, and workshops over the summer to kind of plan, hey, how can we get ahead of the next wave of COVID-19, as well as look ahead to, to kind of second order effects of the crisis, like uh, looming economic recession and, and other people who have been disproportionately impacted. So that's another group that's been tremendous. And then, you know, it, it wouldn't be right to move forward without not calling out some of the corporate partners who step forward. Um, Flexport, Cardinal Health, HP, IBM, Intel, tremendous, tremendous legwork that they did in the spring and over the summer. And a lot of them are doing, you know, thankless work in the background right now. Uh, Cardinal Health, you know, obviously one of the, the largest medical distributors in the United States. Um, the, amount, the amount they did behind the scenes that no one will ever know about was, was just tremendous. You know, they, they really knew that the nation was at a critical crisis point and they did everything they could to, to help course correct there. So, you know, it, what's funny about the C19 Coalition is, is we don't say we only work with nonprofits, we only work with grassroots groups. It's really, you know, an, an open tent in that way. And so a lot of the biggest leverage we've been able to achieve is through some of these corporate partners who set up manufacturing facilities who hired a lot of people who provided funding uh, for nascent groups to, to start up. So, you know, it's uh, the C19 coalition doesn't exist without the partners. And when we talk about a billion units of PPE delivered, that's not, you know, you and I, Laura, who were able to, you know, hand deliver a billion units. It's our partners. <laughs> I mean, they're the ones who were on the, who were really working on those supply chains as they collapsed. And yeah, we, we provided support to get them there. Uh, but it, it couldn't have been done without them. Yeah, and I think that's the unique part about this. It, it is a really incredible public-private side of the universe because, you know, obviously we work with lots of hospitals. We've also been able to work with lots of colleges and universities and nonprofits, but then these big corporate partners who needed a destination they could trust and know it would be a, a great guiding force, you know, came to came on board as well. And I think that's, again, the uniqueness of it all is so key right now, because again, we don't want people to be have hair on fire at this different juncture, even though 
it's you know the cases are spiking what you what we do actually want to focus in on is like very strategic very smart work so that we can get through this period um and hopefully see the other side of it um come spring 2021 exactly we want to be really strategic right now and we want to be really thoughtful with where we put resources and at this point you know, nine months in working on this every day, we think we know what the highest leverage activities are. And we also think we know where people can go wrong at this stage and where different groups can go wrong. So at this point, you know, for better or for worse, we're at the center of this thing. And we plan to continue driving results in the coming months. Awesome. And okay, so how can people help? So like, this is the thing, like, what is, what is, what is it that we, what is it we need going forward um, especially in the next several months to really uh, make sure that we continue to do the incredible work that we do? Uh, so three different things. First, financial support. C19 Coalition, as I mentioned, is, is one of the last remaining COVID response groups uh, that was at uh, really kind of pushing the ball forward in March. Uh, we're in a critical role now. Uh, and, you know, a lot of the people, I mean, at this point, everyone associated with the C19 Coalition is, is a volunteer. And a lot of those other people have full-time jobs. And so if we want to keep the talent we have, <laughs> coding press and company, uh, we do need additional funding to do that. So that, that's number one. That's first and foremost. We want to keep the, the wheels on the bus as we accelerate. Um, the second thing is if you are interested in volunteering, if you are interested in, in stepping in and, um, and assisting in some way, uh, reach out to us. Reach out to info at c19coalition.org. Or you can just personally email me at joe at c19coalition.org. Uh, we all we are constantly taking in new volunteers and, and putting them to work. Um, I mean, the only thing we ask is be realistic about the amount of hours you can put in a week and we can help put you in the right spot. Um, and, and then the third thing is as we get into the winter and as you identify areas that are low on PPE, um, please let us know. Please reach out to us again at info at c19coalition.org. We'd love to connect you to one of our nonprofit partners um, in order to fulfill uh, any sort of PPE gaps that you see. If there are other COVID problems that you're seeing, if you see a lack of testing, um, if you see that, you know, this will, this will more so be a problem as we get into, you know, March and April, but if there are areas that are just getting decimated that need act early access to the vaccine, I hope we'll be able to provide a channel for that as well. So the last ask is really around just kind of keeping your eyes open and, and letting us know where we can fit in and support there. So to recap, one, donations, financial support, two, volunteering, three, keeping your eyes and ears open and letting us know where the gaps are. Awesome. I think that's so key. And as I say, you know, I, like I said, I say this over and over again that I'm honored to be part of the C19 family because it's, you know, it's the work that needs to get done. And one of the reason I got involved was because I saw that, you know, too many people who look like me didn't get what they were they needed. And um, the reason I was so proud to join C19 because that was like the first thing you're like, hey, how do we help? Um, and, and we've been able to deliver hundreds of thousands of PPE to communities of color, which is of, makes me super duper happy. Um, and to see where we've gotten, where we're over 1 billion pieces across the country to communities and hospitals who need it, only tells us that we're doing the exact right thing at the exact right moment. And so as Joe says, if you can want to donate, if you want to volunteer, if you want to be sort of our eyes and ears locally, like very much so the eyes and ears locally is so key for us because you know part of the reason we found out the issues around HPCUs is because 
I talked to someone over Instagram DM and they told me. We would have never had any idea. So that local information is so, so key for us. And just be, and, and keep your eyes and ears open. We're on all the social channels, so Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook. Reach out to us, let us know if, you, if we can be helpful and hopefully we'll be able to be on the other side and actually you know, get together and like have a drink someday. Uh, uh, but Joe, thanks so much for coming on this very special episode of The Reset. And I'll put all the information in the show notes so folks can find out how they can help. Excellent. Thanks so much for having me, Laura. Awesome. And that is our show. <laughs>